Welcome to Cat Talk Radio with your host, Molly DeVos. Molly is a cat expert and certified feline training and behavior specialist. With her expertise and her guests, you'll learn how to interpret and control behavior issues with your cat, how to entertain and converse with them, and keep up on the latest feline news around the world. Now, here is Molly DeVos. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Cat Talk Radio. I'm your host, Molly DeVos, and today we have our special veterinarian guest that you'll be seeing monthly, Dr. Brian Hurley with us. Welcome again, Brian. Good to see you again, Molly. Thank you. Today we're going to talk about something that is always at the top of my list to talk with, with veterinarians about, and that's because it relates to so many of your behavior issues. And we're going to talk about cats urinating outside the litter box. Now, when I get these cases, I tell my clients there's usually four reasons that cats do this. One is medical, one's a dislike for the litter box, territorial marking, or some other source of trauma or stress kind of incident. And a lot of times a combination of many of those things. And so medical, you know, I'll always tell people, uh, especially depending on where the cat is urinating, you know, we need we need to rule out medical. Take your cat to the vet and tell your vet that the cat's urinating outside the litter box and let's get that ruled out before we waste a lot of time chasing behavior issues that may or may not be there. So that's a big umbrella. Um, first, I want to ask you, you know, from, from a veterinarian standpoint, what what should that client be asking you or telling you when they bring the cat to the vet to try to rule out medical as a cause for not urinating in the litter box. Right. So, you know, I think as veterinarians, what prompts an owner to come in when the cat is going outside the box is the thought always is it's a urinary tract infection. You know, that's kind of what everybody always just assumes when they're, uh, whether it's, uh, urinating outside the box, straining to urinate, vocalization while urinating, all these things kind of play a role that would prompt a call to the veterinarian. Once they come in, um, you know, our job is cats are unique. You know, again, they're not like our dogs and they're impacted, you know, as, as I've heard you say before, by a lot of environmental stresses and things like that easiest thing sometimes to do is to rule out the medical components. So what we're looking for um, are, can we see bacteria in the urine? I mean, a urinalysis is a paramount importance because it's going to give us a lot of information. So in that urine, we're looking for concentrated urine. We're going to be looking for crystals. We're going to be looking for evidence of bacteria, which then might lead us to want to do a cystocentesis, particularly in recurring urinary tract infections. So we can kind of say, hey, what is this bacteria and what is the best mm-hmm. antibiotic to treat, you know, uh, for that particular issue? Uh, the uh, Clients, the hard part with urinary tract issues in cats is, like you said, there's not only the medical, which most of the time we're going to be able to come up with either one, a diagnosis, confirmed stones, crystals, 
bacteria, that type of thing. Unfortunately, there's a large majority of them that we don't find any cause. And that's after doing x-rays and ultrasounds and urinalysis. And we just can't seem to put our finger on it. And then they kind of fall into this feline idiopathic cystitis, which basically says, we know there's a bladder issue, but we don't know why. We don't know what the cause is. And while it can be medical, not only urinary tract, but things like skin issues can create urinary tract mm. infections because of stress, heart conditions like hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, or mm. um, uh, so we get cardio impact. We can also see um, just environmental stresses. We can see upper respiratory disease. Anything that creates stress in our cats can also create inflammation in the bladder, which then the only symptom we may know is inappropriate urination outside the box. So I think though it, it's a very tough diagnosis to make because there's so many things we have to look at, including the behavior issues that you alluded to at the very beginning of this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's, and that explains uh, so much. I mean, because I, I have a lot of clients that go, you know, when, when we engage in a, in a consultation agreement, I say, okay, take a cat to the vet. Oh, I did that. And, and they ran tests and everything's fine. And so I always ask them, well, what tests did they run? And can you send me those results? Because I, I'm looking for their urinalysis for the bacteria. And I'm also looking for blood work because a lot of these cats, as they get older, you know, looking at the increased creatine and bun, and, and maybe they've got some diabetes, which I, I seem to see a lot of urinary issues with, with diabetic cats, you know, I always encourage them to get a blood test. Of course, you know, if you, if you go and you get, you know, you get a urinalysis and you get a sonogram and you get a blood test and, you know, you're, you're $1,200 later at the vet and you go, well, I still don't have any answers and my cat is still urinating out of the litter box. So, I mean, can you really see crystals in, in a urinalysis or isn't that something that, that really needs a sonogram to, to diagnose properly or what kind of, let's talk about the kinds of tests people should really be uh, requesting? So I think one, anytime you're going thinking there's a urinary tract issue, the very first test is going to be your, your analysis because that's going to give us a lot of information. The other important thing to remember there is the timing of that collection. So oftentimes the veterinarian will have special pellets that you can put into the litter box to replace mm -hmm. the litter. And that's going to allow the urine sample to remain perfectly clean because it doesn't impact the urine. You transfer it and you wanna, you wanna run that test really as soon after collection as possible because as urine sits, things can change mm. and that becomes important for us. Yes, can we see crystals? Absolutely. Mm. And based on the number of crystals and the symptoms, that would probably next lead to doing x-rays. Because x-rays for the majority of our stones, these crystals could be an indication that there are bladder stones. Mm -hmm. And so it's really easy to take an x-ray and potentially see the bladder stone. Now, remember, there are instances where 
the stone may not be visible on an x-ray. So that's where an ultrasound comes in. But say there are no stones, an ultrasound is that next logical down the path of behavior, you know, or assuming the problem is behavior to run because you also want to look for thickened bladder walls, which would be increased inflammation or cancer. I mean, unfortunately, that's something that we always have to keep in the back of our minds. We might be able to identify this isn't a bladder issue. It's originating up in the kidney. And mm-hmm. so it's more of a kidney issue. Now, the blood work may or may not show that initially. And so those are things that we're always looking at. Blood work, CBC, panel, I think are always important for any medical condition because it may send you a different direction. Again, knowing that dental disease and cardio disease and um, you know behaviors and nutrition and all these different things can impact the bladder we need to keep our minds open and make sure we're not missing something obvious. Yeah. And and then the final one, obviously, if you're seeing bacteria in the urine, then we want to make sure that we consider doing a cystocentesis where they inject a, you know, they take a needle and put it in the bladder and sterilely collect urine to send out for a culture and sensitivity. Uh, so we can treat appropriately. I will say the majority of us don't, jump to that in that first occurrence it's when we start seeing it reoccur down the road yeah remember a lot of what happens in cats like you know i think it's pretty well documented a large majority of these are environmental and stress induced and so not only do you treat what you're seeing but you still have to always start thinking about what modifications can you make in the home that could help the cat uh, maybe get fewer reoccurrences of the urinary tract issues. Yeah. And, and I, I, I actually sell on my website and I, I should have shown it to you prior to this interview, but it's a, it, it, there's those pellets and it has like a litmus strip in it where it's looking at pH and looking at some things like that, some basic things. Um, But it's a really good urine collection system that, you know, you could take to the vet with you on your appointment if you're collecting it that day. But as you say, keeping that sitting around is is not great. And I've I've noticed most vets will do the the needle aspiration um, just because the cat's there. You know, if they can express the bladder, that's a that's another way. But if they can't express the bladder, they'll just go ahead and do it so that they can get an answer quickly. You know, the cats are easier to perform a cysto on than your 125 pound yeah. Rottweiler. I bet. <laughs> sure. uh, but but I think you're you know you're absolutely right. It, it's we we're always trying to address these conditions in multiple ways, and you know the terms that that the clients will hear are going to be things like feline uh, idiopathic cystitis, which is again that. We don't really know, but we, but the symptoms are there. Feline lower urinary tract disease is another mm-hmm. one that we um, use a lot. And again, it's, it's a broad term to say there's a urinary, there's urinary signs that we need to try to help because ultimately I think from a client's point of view, they want to see their pet 
not crying, not going outside the litter box. They want right. them back to normal, no matter what that cause is. And our jobs as veterinarians are to communicate a lot and set expectations. And again, where urinary tract infections are involved, I think there's this patience because we need to do things, see their impact. And if they're not getting better, keep adding. So we know exactly what made a big difference. If you just throw everything under the sun at them, what, what have we done? You know, right. part of the a veterinarian, I always practice under the premise of if I do something, I want to know, is that what helped or did it just get better on its own? You know, that type of thing. Do mm-hmm. I need to add something? If I throw too many things at once, I don't know which one, particularly if I make behavioral modification and antibiotics. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that also uh, reoccurring, I, I get this a lot too, where people will say, well, I took my cat to the vet, you know, three months ago and it had a UTI and we treated it with antibiotics and now he's peeing on the carpet again, you know, right. and, 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 and they say, so it must be behavior because we already treated that. But I think it's important to stress that these things come back. You know, they don't, we're not always getting rid of all the bacteria. And I think uh, cats may also, especially if they've had several UTIs treated with the same antibiotics, don't they also build up some um, tolerances to certain types of antibiotics where they're maybe no longer as effective and they need a longer course or a different course of antibiotics? Right. As far as antibiotics go, I think there's this big push across not only human medicine, but veterinary medicine as well, that we may in the past have overused antibiotics. And you're absolutely right. You end up creating drug resistance so they don't respond and you have to start getting into, you know, different antibiotics and and probably more expensive antibiotics to treat something that had you never used the antibiotic before, probably would have knocked it out pretty quickly. I think in cats, a large majority of our urinary tract infections. So, okay, let let me step back. Our urinary tract issues do tend to be uh, non-bacterial related. Mm -hmm. They're they're inflammatory. And I think the majority of people do, and veterinarians do believe that it is a environmental stress condition in our cats. Older cats are more prone to urinary tract infections, true bacterial infections. And it's not to say, and that's why we always look at the urinalysis to confirm, but it's not surprising you run a urinalysis and you go, yeah, we don't see any bacteria. Well, but I thought it was a urinary tract infection. It's a urinary tract issue. Hence why we use these other terms mm-hmm. versus just, it's only a UTI when you find bacteria. And, and is there... Right. And there's the bacteria. Is there something you can prescribe to reduce the inflammation? Is it steroids or what, what, what causes that? Let's say you discover, okay, there's a, there's an inflammation in the bladder that's obviously causing this. How do we, other than those environmental changes of looking at the stress and the environment and the litter boxes and territorial and things like that, is there something medical that, that will help with that? We can use steroids are always something that can be used. You know, cats have been difficult, right? Because in our dogs, 
we have a wide variety of non-steroidal anti-inflammatories to use mm -hmm. from aspirin to, uh, you know, carprofens to Prevacox to Darum. There's, there's a lot of them on the market. In cats, one, you have to be very careful about using aspirin, for instance, because they don't break that down appropriately and they can become toxic if it's not dosed appropriately and at the right interval. Uh, we do now have Onsior. Onsior is another uh, cat-approved anti-inflammatory that we can use for a very short period of time, typically. Uh, there are some medications that we have used, kind of what they call off-label. We know we can use them. They just haven't been FDA-approved. But we don't. our arsenal is very limited. Now, there has been the release of a newer non-steroidal that is... Actually, it's not non-steroidal. It is a monoclonal antibody uh, called Silencia, which is starting to hit the market more for arthritis. But again, we may find down the road that it helps with inflammation of the bladder as well. Um, hmm. But again, that I don't know. That is not what it's, it's more for arthritic pain. But it's the, really the first novel non-steroidal that will last a 30-day period that would be interesting as time goes to see what impact it has. So those are the things that we can use. Unfortunately, I think a lot of it starts to come down to what can we do to minimize environmental stresses? Where's, you know, where do you feed your cats? How many litter boxes do you have? You know, the, the general rule. Right. One more litter box than the number of cats. Sure. How often are you cleaning the litter boxes? And how they're set up and how many how cats do you have? Covered, uncovered. Right. Some cats have substrate preference, which we never mm -hmm. think about. They mm -hmm. may not like the litter that you've put in there, particularly if you're constantly changing the litter. I love the one where they say, they say, oh, but I've used this litter for the last five years. So he must like it because he just started going out of the box. And I always tell him that doesn't always mean that. They just, you know, think about it when you've had enough. Right? Right. No, absolutely. And we're creatures of habit, too. Mm -hmm. You know, ha have you created when our routines get disrupted? We feel it when our pet's routine gets disrupted they feel it. Absolutely. And so again, it's also trying to minimize those type of things because those can become the most important process, particularly in treating our feline patients and minimizing the reoccurrence. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, once they're prone, it's not uncommon that it will rear its head every once in a while because unfortunately we can't always keep a stress-free unchanged environment in right. in the household it's 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 really hard to do and and along those lines do you find that some of the drugs like gabapentin help just just to reduce the general stress in a cat that that might help with litter box issues if you know if, if everything else in the environment seems to be you know, within acceptable range, would that be something you would try? Gabapentin is another one that, that we have used. I mean, we use it in chronic pain and it, you know, and, and so obviously that can, can help. It's a neurodrug, So it does have other, you know, properties that, that can uh, potentially help our feline patients. We also 
can reach for some of the behavior medications like Prozacs and amtriptylines, mm -hmm. things that are on the human market. Again, that is in conversation with your veterinarian because most of those aren't approved for use in our, our pets, but are widely accepted to, to be a source, hopefully short term, to help them through uh, periods where there are issues that we're just unsure of and we're trying to help them calm down a little bit. Anxiety is as we all know on the human side too, it just can create a lot of issues in the body overall. Mm -hmm. You know, I never heard that, that Pandora syndrome right. that you had talked about uh, last we spoke. And, and so I did some research and it was just very interesting, you know, the concept of it's like opening Pandora's box because there's just so many systems. Every system can be impacted by stress. And the bladder is just one of many. And so, it, uh, so say, I, I still learn. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> now, I want to, I want to ask you about a theory that I have mm -hmm. that I, I tell people frequently. And I hope you don't say it's wrong. <laughs> it's a theory here. Um, I, I I find that a lot of these inappropriate urination cases are cats that are fed either a mostly or strictly dry food diet, which, as we all know, keeps the cat mildly dehydrated, um, some more than than others. And I know that in my own self, when I get dehydrated, sometimes urine gets so concentrated, it kind of mimics a UTI where, you know, you it's burning, it, it's kind of uncomfortable to go until you drink enough water and hydrate yourself. And cats often, the whole point of why aren't they using the litter box when they have a urinary issue is because they relate that pain to the litter box and they go, well, every time I go in there, it hurts. So I'm going to go find somewhere else to go. Right. Mm -hmm. So I always look at diet when I have these cases and I recommend that they go to a wet food diet so that the cat is getting enough hydration. And I find that oftentimes that in itself will cure a lot of these issues. Now, whether that means you know, the dry food is not only dehydrating them, but maybe contributing to some bladder inflammation. I don't know, but I, I know that that's not the best, you know, nutritional thing to be feeding them. Right. And, and I wonder if that concentrated urine creates a discomfort that kind of mimics a, a bladder issue. Do you, you think that's a ridiculous theory? It's not a ridiculous theory. I think diet impacts so many things. You know, for instance, we didn't talk about obesity as a potential reason for, sure. you know, urinary issues as well in, in, in our cats. And so I think diet always plays an issue. I'm always very careful in that in a pet that's experiencing no problems, getting fed a, whatever they, the, the pet owner has decided to feed their pet in the beginning. I think diets have improved dramatically over the years. Uh, with whether it's, you know, the veterinary lines of food or commercial, other commercial brands of food. If the pet's not having an issue doing well, no health issues, just keep doing what you're doing. 
I think when you get that first urinary tract issue, do I jump to change the diet immediately? Only if there's certain things that I see. So for instance, if we're seeing crystals, there are diets that can help us dissolve those crystals. And hopefully if we don't see stones at that point, prevent the formation of stones just by changing the diet uh, because it affects the pH of the urine. And then depending on which stone that we have, we can help that. Um, but I'm with you that when you get into the reoccurrent issues, that diet needs to be looked at. Now, I think there's two ways to do it. Canned food's always the easiest because it's over 70% moisture. So they're going to be getting their water intake mm -hmm. by eating wet food. You could, if the, because let's face it, not all cats are going to want to eat canned food. M most will, but you can also continue dry food, but change your delivery of water. So I know when you just put a bowl down, cats may not drink that much. If you have bowls everywhere and different styles, you may find they have a preference to what the bowl looks like, mm -hmm. feels like. And then my trick for our cat that lived to 16 years old was getting a water fountain. Yeah. Or, or letting them drink. Oh. Drinking. How yes. many cats get up on the sink and drink the dripping water because yep. they like that moving water. There's something attractive to it. Yeah. And so I've been very successful with water fountains in, in our cats on multiple levels. Uh, but that's another way to hopefully increase that water intake. But I'm with you. There is there is a correlation sometimes between diet and yeah a lot of health issues. So I, I had a I had a vet once that was a a, a mobile cat only vet, which a dream mm -hmm. come true. He since retired um, to Costa Rica with his family, but um, but I had a cat that um, this is gosh probably 30, 35 years ago. So it was before I really knew better that I fed mostly dry food. Came mm -hmm. up with you know urinary issues again, kind of fell in that category where well there wasn't really any bacteria and we're not seeing any crystals, but we know something's going on. So we did everything. We did X-rays, we did sonograms, and then I I finally said to him, you know what what is going on? He said, well sometimes there's sludge in the bladder that is like a crystal sludgy thing, but it doesn't show up on the x-rays and it doesn't always show up on the, on the sonogram. And he said, what I think we ought to do is just do surgery and go in there and remove the sludge and, you know, put him back together. And, and he did that. And once the cat got over that, that trauma of the surgery, <laughs> um, it actually fixed it. And, and it, I felt like it was a leap to, to do something that drastic to the cat, but, um, knowing that it was a reoccurring issue and that nothing was showing up on the tests, um, I went right. ahead and, and did it. it is, is, is that something you're familiar or have seen before? You know, I, there's always those instances where if you have something to address, you know, obviously stones are going to be a no brainer to go into the bladder. But if you're seeing something unusual on the ultrasound or you're truly seeing this debris that isn't going away, 
because a lot of times the body's really good at protecting itself. So as long as it can get through the urethra and get out, it's going to be okay. So that's that tube that goes from the bladder out to the environment. So if they can pass that naturally, do you need surgery? No, but if it's never going away, and there are those instances where it just is a persistent entity that's in that bladder, you have no choice but to go in and figure it out. You know, what is creating it? Sometimes our eyes are still our best tool, right? So ultrasound's great because it lets you look inside without opening the pet up because that's major. Definitely but major. Sometimes you can go in there and the best test, you actually see something visually that just wasn't picked up by the diagnostics. And so sometimes I wouldn't just go in going, hey, we haven't seen anything, go in. But if there's a reason and you think you can remove something, then absolutely that could be that final thing where you go, nothing else has worked. We've made environmental changes. We've tried medications. Uh, we've changed diet. We've done everything. That sludge is still there. It hasn't changed. Why not go in and flush the bladder, get it out, and hope that that solves the problem like it sounds like it did in your your cat? Yeah. Well, it did and it didn't. It, it actually did for about six months, and then it came back. And I said at that point... I can't put my cat through this again. I, I, it was very hard on him and I, and I don't think he'll survive it. And so I went out there and, you know, did a lot of Google research and, and found uh, a website. I think it's the catinfo.org site where she was feeding raw food and saying, and, and it is a vet the saying that, you know, was proven by her that raw food diets would clear up a lot of these issues. So I thought, well, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try anything that might work. That's going to keep him from having to go through that trauma again. So I did, and it did, and it absolutely worked. It, it, it cleared up whatever was going on. He never had another urinary issue in his life. He lived to be 17 and died of a, of a stroke. So it didn't right. even, you know, something totally unrelated didn't develop into renal issues or, or anything along those lines. So in that case, yes, yes, it helped. But because I was continuing to feed uh, a dry food diet, which I believe was probably the culprit to in some right. way, shape or form to what was going on. Cause once I changed that, I never had another issue with him at all. Yeah. And, and I, I agree. You know, like I said, I, I think I agree that, you know, diet, can play a role in some of these, you know, cases, particularly when they're reoccurring. It's something, you know, to look at. I think that we're even changing diet creates stress. Mm -hmm. So it's why we don't jump to, I could probably find a diet for just about every disease process out there. Mm -hmm. I could be changing them. If they come in this week for skin, I change them to a skin diet. If they come in the following week for heart, I can change it to a heart diet. Right. But you use those when you're unable to maintain health for a longer period of time. And, and so, and you have to find what works because again, going from a dry food to a canned food 
may be all it takes. Right. Now, now it's, it's the, the raw diet work. Right. Um, and I think that's just where communication with your veterinarian and, and just making sure that you understand all the pros and cons of everything right. that you want to change. I think, hey, the, the information world is here. We can get anything we want at our fingertips. But you also have to communicate with your veterinarian to understand not only the positives that that change may make, but also why it might not be the best choice in this particular instance. And as long as you have that great communication with medical professionals that you trust, the sky's the limit as to what we can do. And it's patience. And it's also everybody being aware that sometimes, particularly if you just change diet, it can take eight to 12 weeks before you see those positive changes. If we're doing allergy testing, it's six to eight week food trials. I mean, it's not an overnight, you change it. And if somebody goes, oh my God, my pet was better in two days. Hmm. Don't know if that was the diet. (laughs) Right, right, (laughs) exactly. Something else probably intervened, but in their head, they read diet, they changed it, pet got better. Yes. They just assume it was diet. And that's where that communication with your veterinarian comes in. So we make sure that we can record these things and help you determine, yes, it helped or or maybe it was something different because our bodies are really good. I always kind of say that um, our, our bodies are so good and our pets' bodies are so good at helping them stay healthy that in spite of what veterinarians do, we sometimes speed the processes along, but our mach- our computers and our body and our machine is is remarkable at no matter what we do to our bodies, it handles it. The problem is when we keep insulting our bodies, then eventually the body wears out, you know? Yeah. And so, and I think our pets are the same, you know, same way. So we try to speed this along and help educate so there's not that repeated illness or the re- reoccurrence that we've been talking about, you know, throughout this mm-hmm. show. Now, I, I want to ask you this, and this is actually really a separate issue for, for another episode, but I want to talk about the kidneys, renal issues, mm-hmm. because, um, you know, that's a that's a huge percentage of medical cause of death in cats is, is renal issues, especially, right. you know, late life. And, um, and so I, I want to talk about kidneys and renal issues separately, but I, I want to ask you if, if your cat is having, you know, reoccurring medical urinary issues, if you can't get to the bottom of it through whatever means that you're trying, does that mean that that is probably going to lead to kidney issues later in life or are the two really unrelated? I think any illness in our, you know, in our pets' bodies impacts the organ systems because the organ systems are what are responsible for detoxifying the body, helping get rid of the insult. And then ultimately, the reason our pets later in life end up oftentimes, you know, acute renal disease is one thing, insult, something happens. 
but most of what you're talking about is that chronic renal issues where the kidneys are just starting to give out. And I think that's just years and years of having to filter everything that's going through their bodies. And so I think chronic urinary tract issues do put a stress on, you know, on that system, particularly when we're having to use medications or we're making changes. Mm. And again, stress is another impactful thing. And anytime a cat isn't feeling well, that's going to impact all, all the systems in the body to some degree. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. And we'll talk about, definitely talk about kidneys, maybe in our next issue. I have such a yeah. long list of things I want, I want to talk to you about for our listeners. And, uh, right. And, uh, so yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for addressing this topic. This I've, I've learned a lot from you today and I know our listeners have learned a lot and, and we'll continue to learn a lot from you as you keep coming so. on the show. So I, uh, I appreciate it. Um, no, you're very welcome. Yeah. Did you have so, a good Thanksgiving, by the way? I did. I did. How about yeah, you? I did. I was with my daughter, you know, down in Florida. Uh, so that was nice. It was nice to to spend some time with her and share Thanksgiving together. And fortunately, my wife was up here, so I had to be away from her. But yeah, so I didn't want our daughter to be alone. So I went down and spent a few days with her. So that was that was nice. Great. Great. And to all our listeners out there. Thanks for tuning in to Cat Talk Radio. Until next time, keep calm and purr on. You can be a cat lifesaver by helping to keep us on the air. In the U.S., about 10 cats per hour are euthanized in shelters due to behavior issues. Through this educational radio show, behavior consultations, seminars, and articles, Cat Behavior Solutions intercepts cat behavior problems in the home, reducing the number of cats who are surrendered to shelters. Make a donation at catbehaviorsolutions.com. That's catbehaviorsolutions.com. Looking for products that address specific cat behavior issues? On our website, cattalkradio.com, you'll find things that will create enrichment in the environment for your cat. Toys that will reduce boredom, the world's best and safest nail clippers, and much more. All proceeds support our mission, reducing the number of cats surrendered to shelters. Stop by the site and pick up a few tips and tidbits for your cat today. Visit cattalkradio.com and look for The Behavior Shop. Thanks for tuning in to Cat Talk Radio. Please join your host, Molly DeVos, for another episode of the program on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, go make a connection with your feline friend.